Hey everyone, welcome back to the Last Word on Sens podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. And joining me today, making her return to the podcast, she's a staff writer for Silver 7 Sens. It is the one and only Vieta. Thank you so much for joining me. How's it going today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I am uh, really excited. I think there's a bunch to talk about with this uh, Ottawa team, as I mean, there always seems to be this year. Um, you know, as we're recording, they're uh, heading into their all-star break here. So uh, um, we're, we're going to get a bit of a break without actual Senators hockey, um, which is going to be different. That's for sure. Uh, I, I'm just trying to pull up their schedule right now. I don't know why. Um, there we go. Saturday, February 11th is the next day, and it is February 1st as we're recording. So 10 full days without Senators hockey. Um, it's, I mean, I, I'm always welcome for a bit of a break in a long season, but it's almost unfortunate for the Senators because uh, they're in a roll rate lately, winning four in a row uh, and pulling themselves a lot closer in the playoffs. Uh, it's been a pretty good stretch of Sens hockey recently. Yeah, it's been really fun. And I'm kind of glad that they have, um, they're kind of ending this part of the season on a high note. I remember, was it last year where they like had almost a month off, but it was after, what was it, a six nothing loss to the Leafs. And we just had to stew on that for weeks. Um, I'm glad that we get to think about those great rivalry wins for the next uh, 10 days or whatever. Yeah, exactly. It really helps that three of the four wins come out uh, a beatdown of the Toronto Maple Leafs, 6-2, in a game that I really thought they played extremely well. A 5 nothing mm-hmm. beatdown of the Habs, and then a 5-4 crazy game that we watched yesterday. So, you know, three of the four uh, wins on this winning streak have come against their two biggest opponent or rivals, um, which is always nice and just kind of adds a little bit of uh, um, flame to the fire, you know, which is, it's always a good feeling. Um yeah, they, they have 10 days off, and then they get the Oilers, Flames, Islanders, Blackhawks. Uh, I, I think the theme of this team is still kind of inconsistency um, in terms of, it. like, they go four games in a row, just like they have right now, where it's like, man, this team's rolling, the power play looks good, the top six looks good, and then they have a couple stinkers where, you know, that's what it was two games ago against the Pittsburgh Penguins, or before those four-game four winning streak, they, they lose 4-1 to Pittsburgh in a game where – they were just never in that game. Pittsburgh won all the way. They they took the lead early and held it all the way through. And then the same thing with the Jets, 5-1 game, close for a little bit on a Saturday night. And then the, the Jets really just took it to them in the second, third period. Um, it's one of those things where it's, they go up and down. They go multiple games where it looks really good, multiple games where uh, it doesn't look so good. I think in the second half here, Again, playoffs, we, we can talk about playoffs in a little bit, but the biggest focus for me and what I want to see is not even just trying to make the playoffs, but try and be more of a consistent team. Like, do not have your stretches where you go three, four games at a time where you don't look like you're an NHL team. Yeah, and even then, the winning streaks haven't been as dramatic as they need to be, you know? Like, they haven't had a winning streak as long as that losing streak that sank their season. And if they had had a winning streak like that, they would be back in the mix, right? And yeah, even then, you look ahead to the next few games of the schedule and you think, you know, actually, those aren't huge powerhouses. The Sens could, hypothetically, like, you know, technically they could, like win all of those games, go on a really long streak, and then we might be able to talk about the playoffs. But what are the odds they're going to do that? How many times have we said that during the season? And then, you know, they they have their four-game winning streak, and you think, oh, here we go. Now they're going to have a big winning streak, and then they just lose the next few, or they lose just enough that they're they're not in the playoff conversation anymore, you know? Yeah, it's, a, it's almost a running joke I have with myself just watching uh, Sense Twitter of how often people seem to go and, and do this um, – scoreboard watching with like the New York Islanders and stuff and like oh they're only eight points out they're only six points out just for Ottawa to drop three in a row and then slide right back down to 12 which is unfortunate um um, (laughs) excuse me but yeah it's one of those things where as you said they if they really want to truly put themselves back in the playoff mix which they are closer than I really even thought a month ago they would be they you know six points out of a playoff spot and three teams to jump it's a lot. That's still a lot to ask for. That being said, it is a lot better looking than when they were 12 points out of a playoff spot with seven teams to jump. Um, but yeah, if they really truly want to put themselves back in this mix, they need to rattle off a seven to 10 game stretch where they only lose once, you know, like they need an eight one and one stretch or something like that. And 
people are going to go, well, that sounds crazy. It's like, well, guess what? That's what the best teams do. That's what the teams that make the playoffs, they have a stretch like that. They especially have a stretch like that after they drop six in a row without points like they did early in November, you know? <laughs> so it, it's a great point that, yeah, they, they really need to make up some ground. And the only way they're going to do that is keeping this four game win streak. And, you know, maybe this is what it is, you know, this is the, uh, probably the longest win streak I would have tied for the longest win streak of the season. I would have to imagine I they need so, to keep yeah. stretching this for a couple more games, right? They're six, four and zero in their last 10. That needs to change to eight, two and zero, eight, one and one, something like that. Yeah. I mean, obviously whenever you talk about getting back into the playoff race after being pretty far out, the comparable is always the Hamburglar run. Right. And at that point they were, I think they were 14 points out at one point in the season, but they were 10 points out in like mid February when the streak started. And so you look at that comparable and you say, well, you know, the Sens are not quite that far out, but remember how, remember what it took for them to make the playoffs on literally the last day of the season. Um, it's, it's not easy. We're getting to the end of the season. They need to put together a streak if they want to make, keep their playoff hopes alive. And yeah, like you, I like, I only check the standings when the Sens actually put together a winning streak and people start talking about the playoffs and I go, oh, cool. I'm just going to go look at the standings and oh, wow, it's not that bad. And then they always lose once I start checking the standings and then I stop because it makes me sad. So I would like to continue to to check the scoreboard, but I, I, I'm not optimistic that that's going to continue. Yeah, exactly. Like that hamburger run, the, the best way to describe how just like rare it was, they lost like four times in the last two and a half months of the season mm-hmm. and still just barely made it in, you know, like they yeah. were on a record of what like Boston was on to start this year and still just barely made it in. So, um, you know, I, I think until I say again, until I see a much longer winning streak, I, I'm trying not to put the mind on playoffs. I will say it is nice that this team keeps battling back. I, I think in past years, you know, we would have seen the team kind of just throw their hands up and drop near the bottom of the standings. And uh, I mean, you can argue with how good the draft is. Maybe that wouldn't be the worst thing, but in terms of like an actual progression, this is the step in terms of, um, you know, I'm going to do some, I got to do some quick math here, I guess. But I I think if you told fans at the beginning of the year, you're going to finish seven points out of a playoff spot, but a lot of the games in March are going to be meaningful. People would have taken that at the beginning of the year, you know, the route we got here, probably not, but you know, this is, more or less what people expected. You know, this team is, I mean, I guess the math isn't actually that hard. You know, this team is on pace for about 83, 84 points, which is a big step up from Pat year fast and still probably not going to be enough to make playoffs. And again, if you told me that's where they were at the beginning of the year, I'd be like, yeah, that seems about right. Yeah. And even then, you know, you talk about the historically good draft. It's not just the chances of getting the first overall pick that we want to be looking for. This is a draft where it looks like you can get real superstars around the middle of the pack area. So if you want to take an optimistic view of it, which this is kind of in my view, is if there was ever a season where the Sens were like good, you know, they were improving but they just like could not buy a goal they've had terrible puck luck you know if this ever had to happen we were just really frustrating the Sens were losing frankly more than they should because they have been better than their record indicates um but finished just lower in the standings than they need to if there was ever a season for them to do that it would be a season with a historically good draft so maybe this is the best thing in the end is you get some hope you get some momentum going you think maybe next year they can kind of keep that going because truly, if you look at the underlying numbers, they've been around the middle of the league. They haven't been at the end, at the bottom of the league. It's only their five on five actual scoring. That's been so bad. And even the five on five underlying numbers haven't been terrible either. Right. Um, And so if you look at all of that, all of that context, say, okay, the sense should be winning more than they are. I'm kind of okay with them missing the playoffs and then getting, you know, a better chance at a high pick and also just generally a better draft pick. Yeah, I think generally speaking, it's nice to see them at least taking improvements on, you know, both obviously on the ice in terms of watching the guys score and, you know, like Tim Stutzla, um, yeah, Alex Dabrinkit, it's kind of found his role again in the past week or two, it seems like, um, you know, and Drake Batherson continues to roll, all those guys. But yeah, as you mentioned, the underlying numbers, they're they're not just outscoring problems and having bad play where, you know, even last year there was times where they would win three or four games in a row, but they would get crushed at five on five and winning is a good thing. You know, you're you're never going to complain about winning, 
Um, but yeah, it, it's nice to see that the fundamentals are there. And I think improving the depth, and I mean, just getting healthy will have a bit of a say in that as well. But as they improve the depth, those five on five scoring rates will go up because I, I do really think, you know, some of it's just bad luck that they are dead last at five on five in shooting percentage right now. Um, and then part of it as well is just they don't have good players in their bottom six. So, of course, they're not going to get much shooting luck either. Yeah, and I think that's a really fixable problem. Um, you know, we've already seen the difference that having Ridley Gregg up in the NHL has made and, you know, slotting Shane Pinto down on the third line instead. And if you look at all of their top prospects in Belleville, the thing that everyone says about those prospects is those are, you know, low ceiling, high floor players. These are players who probably aren't going to be superstars, but they'll, they're will they well suited to the third line or the fourth line role. And obviously there's no guarantee that's going to work out, but... If that does work out, that's a really, really good, you know, outlook for the Sens because it sounds like they have a lot of players who next year or the year after are going to be able to fill out their bottom six. Yeah, and theoretically, uh, not even theoretically, I mean, it's just obvious that it's way easier to find depth than it is star Mm -hmm. players, right? So I would much rather have the issue of you don't have good depth, but you have an amazing top six. Because even if, yeah, those prospects don't work out, you should be able to go find someone for a million and a half bucks on the free agent market, even like a Tyler Mott, you know, just find a couple more Tyler Mm -hmm. Mott's on the free agent market to help round up that depth. And then you're okay. Mix them with your prospects as well. Whereas I would be much more worried about this team if Tim Stutzel wasn't breaking out this year. And instead they're like, oh, we might need a 1C going forward. or We might need Mm -hmm. a 2C going forward. That's a lot scarier than like, yeah, we just need a third line left wing and a couple fourth line players that are, you know, above replacement level. You know, that that should be something that is easy to fix. And and yeah, we're seeing it with Ridley Gregg come in. Man, I don't know about you. I have loved what he has brought to the table early this year. He has been all that is advertised and a little more. He just hasn't been able to buy a goal. That has been the only downside. And that is going to come. Oh yeah, I I cannot believe he's gone those three goal those three games without scoring a goal. He has been amazing. I love the instant chemistry he has with Claude Giroux and Alex DeBrinket, which is actually funny because those two were supposed to be on a line with Tim Stutzla, and for some reason DJ Smith broke that up so early on in preseason. I still have no idea why that happened. Um, but it's nice to see those two back together and with Ridley Gregg uh, with them. It, it's just been so good. And yeah, him being there just gives the team so much more depth. Shane Pinto looks way more suited to a third line role. He, yeah, I, I he was not great in the, on the second line, unfortunately. And uh, I, it's kind of disappointing that it took so long for the team to figure that out. Um, not, to, not to hate on Shane Pinto. Again, great in the third line role, but you just see how much of a difference it makes to have three lines that can actually score. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's so much nicer having that third line out there to actually be a threat instead of just trying to kill some time when they're going over the boards, right? And and uh, yeah, I've absolutely loved Greg what he's done to you know the second line as well, and just the energy he brings. You know, his forecheck it, it's so tenacious. Where you know he's not a physically imposing guy necessarily, but he uses his body so effectively. And obviously, we've seen him get in trouble sometimes in, in you know junior and even the AHL with some suspensions, and I'm sure that'll happen, but. He's already already happened in the NHL. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Like he he was suspended his very first game. So in the preseason there too. Um, But like, that's okay. And and like, as long as he learns from it and keeps adjusting, but he's already shown what the upside of using his body like that is where he's just a wrecking ball going to get the puck. And, you know, it, it makes defense stay play on the edge. And then it also helps that, you know, that's not all he's good at. He does have a shot as well. He does have, you know, pretty good vision where he can help find a guy like Claude Giroux or Alex to bring it and set them up as well. So, um, and he's definitely not afraid to shoot the puck. You know, I think he had seven shots in his debut or whatever, eight shots. Like he was all around the net um, causing chaos. So um, yeah, it is just a matter of time before he has his first NHL goal. You know, it's always, it's already nice seeing him get on the uh, scoreboard and it's already opening up for room for Alex to bring it as well. Who again, since going with Giroux and Ridley Gregg, I, I think has shown some of his best hockey in the past month where, you know, he had a, a pretty quiet January, pretty, um, you know, like I don't think too many people were talking about it and it happens, but he looks really good uh, since been put on a line with Sheru and Greg. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's been nice to see, yeah, to see Greg doing so well. He's just so good at everything, like such a fun player to watch because as you said, so much energy. He's also really good defensively. He's been on the penalty kill and stuff, just kind of does everything. Perfect 
third liner, um, but also just amazing on the second line as well. I love that. And yeah, it's been really, really nice to see uh, to see Dabrinkit doing better with him. Um, again, you know, I, I just didn't feel like that second line combination was working for anyone on that line. Um, and I don't want to make excuses for Alex Dabrinkit, right? Like, it's a bit disappointing that he hasn't been scoring as many goals. You'd like to see him score more. But uh I I think maybe the change of line mates was probably good for him. And I hope that he can, uh, you know, put something together in the second half of the season and or the rest of the second half and maybe make his numbers a little bit more respectable. I think he's getting close to 20 goals now. If he can hit 30 yeah, by the end of the season. 17, I think he great, hit the other you know? night. So Yeah, like, I mean, yeah. yeah, 30 by the end of the season isn't like that unrealistic if he can suddenly go on a scoring tear, right? Like he's he's scored a lot more than that. So um, yeah, I, I am hoping that by the end of the season, we can say, okay, <laughs> he, he can score goals. It's all right. You know? Yeah. To bring, it's funny how people talk about to bring it. His down season has him on pace for 28 goals. Like, yeah. And, and again, like, you know, they, they gave up a good amount of, they gave up the seventh overall pick which or ninth overall pick, which isn't nothing by any means. And, and they plan on, I'm assuming paying him long-term. So you do want to see this guy, make sure that he, uh, can produce at a high level, but like everything about this season is, oh, it's been unlucky. It's been a down season. And the dude's still like just under point per game and on pace for 20 angles. So I, I don't know how you can complain too, too much. Um, you know, someone who is been absolutely no problem scoring goals either is Claude Giroux named first star of the week in the NHL this past week, and then follows it up with another uh, multi-point game. Uh, actually, oh, no, sorry. He had a real tough game the other night. Only scored one goal, one point the other <laughs> night against Montreal. Um, he had three, three point, three plus point games in a row uh, heading into that game, and then obviously scores the first goal last night against Montreal as well. Um, the last night goal was it was a deflection off the hand, but that just kind of shows when you're hot, you're lucky as well, and uh, it doesn't really matter what you do if you get into the right areas, you're going to score. And wow, Claude Giroux is scoring right now. Yeah, no kidding. And I think what's really uh, impressed me, and I think this is part of, you know, this is just what you get when you have NHL veterans, right? When you've been in the league for a long time, but it's the consistency. Because I feel like with a lot of star players, they'll, they'll have their hot streaks and then their their cold streaks, right? It's a little bit up and down. But with Koji, who I don't think he's had a cold streak really, right? Like he's just been scoring more consistently than anyone else, I think, on this team. Uh, so that's really nice to be able to rely on him in that way. Every single line he's been on has been so good. I mean, he's been playing with amazing line mates, of course, but, you know, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that Kachuk Stutzla Giroux was the best line for so long, and then suddenly, you know, Debrinket Greg Giroux was the best line. Not that I'm taking any credit away from Kachuk and Stutzla, they're great too, but it, it really shows that he is able to elevate his line mates. I love that he seems to be mentoring all the young players. It's super fun. There's great off-ice content as well. And even like when you said, you know, his recent hot streak, I was thinking, is he even on a hot streak? Because in my head, he's just scoring consistently and his all his goals against the Leafs and Habs weren't him being on a hot streak. That was him being a hater, you know, <laughs> bringing that Philly energy to Ottawa and, and uh, lighting up the Leafs and Habs. Yeah. He's been, I think maybe you could argue, argue Stutzel's in there as well for most consistent forward, but it's been the two of them. And, and even like Stutzel had a, a, a spot earlier in the year where, you know, he, he just wasn't quite scoring as much as I think he wanted to even as well. And then, really broke out uh, as well. But yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that Giroux has been the most consistent player this Ottawa team has had. And, um, you know, like he's he's on pace. I don't know what his actual point total is. He's got 20 goals on the year. I know that though. Um, so he's on pace for, again, over 30 goals, basically. Um, for a dude who even last year at the deadline, 33 goals he's on pace for, which is incredible. For a guy who even last year at the deadline, there was, I don't know when he got traded to the Panthers. People were like, Oh, like how much gas does he really have left in the tank? And when he signed in Ottawa this year, everyone's like, oh, it's going to be like the Patrick Marlowe deal with Toronto. That third year is really going to hurt. And so far, I mean, obviously three years time is still a long ways away, but he has done everything you can ask for and more with this team. As you mentioned, not just on the ice where he has been absolutely amazing to watch. He's been consistent. He doesn't make mistakes, which is the best part. Like on top of just being good offensively, he does everything right in his own end too. But as you mentioned, the off ice part of it is just as important too, where there's a lot of times where he could, you know, complain about not getting top power play unit or, 
or, you know, the team's not doing quite as good as, you know, I think everyone would have hoped that they were. And, you know, he could have been like, oh, why did I leave a contender in Florida? I mean, not like Florida's doing very good, but you know what I mean, to come here. Instead, everything we've seen is he just keeps talking about how much he loves the city, how much he loves the guys, the team. And, like, he's been a perfect mentor for this young group that, you know, the season hasn't gone how they wanted. But as we talked about earlier, they've been able to just kind of keep it on the rails and stay within striking distance. And I get, you know, obviously he can't get all the credit, but I think Claude Giroux deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you hear any of the players talk about him and they seem to think he's the funniest person in the world, right? Like, it's not just that he's this calming veteran presence who's there to, you know, keep the kids in line. He really does seem to have Ottawa Senators energy. You know, he, he brings, like I said, he brings that Philly energy, that hater energy to the Sens. Um, everyone seems to think he's funny. He's yelling at the refs all the time. He's kind of like a, a fun, goofy dude. And that I feel like that personality just really, really fits the Sens. I it was such a perfect signing. Probably I think we have to already declare this like the best free agent signing in Sens history, which I think it was at the time, but somehow it looks even better now than it did at the time. Yeah, 100%. When it when it happened at the time, I that summer I was actually writing for Last Word on hockey. Um, the Sens best so we were doing a series and it was best free agent signings for every franchise and well it's not a secret to say Ottawa doesn't have very many of those um, and I had Clark, Clark yeah. MacArthur was the number one and then I was like well I guess if you want to argue Dominic Hasek because it's not his fault he got injured but yeah. like that that's number two I guess and then yeah but I, I literally had Claude Giroux as an honorable mention because I was like he hasn't played a game for this franchise but just how significant it is that they got him is important and yeah, it's blown away my expectations. And, you know, like, I, I definitely, I was probably trying to be a little more moderate than some maybe heading into the year. But, like, yeah, I, if you would have told me he's on pace for, again, 33 goals, and I think he's almost on pace for 85 points or something like that at this point, I would have been like, uh, yes, sign me up for that 100%. So um, it's just been a phenomenal year and honestly really awesome to see. And uh, I hope they can build on the back half because, yeah, the, the first 50 games um, – him and and really the whole top six. I mean, I know we can, you know, pick and play with Debrinket maybe there a little bit, and some people have loved the consistency. But generally speaking, I think everyone in that top six, um, you know, and I'm including Norris in there, even though he didn't get to play a lot, um, <laughs> has been very good. Like, that has not been the problem with this team whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, I'd say that, you know, I, I think you could certainly say that Shane Pinto wasn't that well suited to that second he was he didn't look right there he was okay it wasn't it was pretty clear that like okay he's he's a third line guy um there were points where everybody on that second line looked pretty bad but yeah overall I would say I'm pretty happy with how everyone in that top six has has done considering the circumstances yeah absolutely and you know let's get to Josh Norris now because uh unfortunately between the last time we recorded uh, or I recorded sorry uh, he has been shut down for the season. He had just came back against Pittsburgh when I had last recorded. And then obviously, you know, plays a couple games and uh, took a bump in. I think it was, was it the second Pittsburgh game? I want to say he took a bump on the at, near the end of the game. Um, no, it was the Winnipeg game. Winnipeg game, okay. They yeah, lost yeah. so badly and then also lost Josh Norris. Yes, yes, you're correct. I knew it was that weekend. I couldn't remember which of the yeah. two stinkers that it was, but... Um, yes, it was the Saturday against Winnipeg where, um, yeah, he takes a bump late in the game. They kind of just sit him down for the rest of the game, and you kind of hope it's just precautionary because, as he said, they were getting blown out. It was 5 nothing, 4 nothing, 4 nothing at that point, I guess. Um, and then it comes out later that week that he needs shoulder surgery. He's done for the year. Um, I, I don't know how to feel. I, obviously, it sucks for the player. You know, we saw this with Shane Pinto last year. He lost a year of development, and, you know, for Josh Norris, he's such an important part to this team. With the depth of the team, as you know, we've highlighted with Pinto already, just not being able to take that step up. Not that that's any of his fault. Um, my first take on it was I was very skeptical of how it was handled in terms of even letting him come back. I have seen a couple of people point out that, like, this is one of those things where if he knew surgery was probably going to be inevitable anyways, and he was either going to miss most of the season and maybe get back for the last two weeks of the season versus try and rehab it. If you re-injure it, you're just going to miss part of the summer anyways. And that's why they let him do it. They don't have a problem with it. I understand that if that is the case. Um, I'm still a little just up in the air about how I feel about it. I, I think I would have rather they err on the side of caution in terms of 
if they knew it was that high of a risk of getting re-injured, they probably should have just gone the surgery route right away. But at the same time, you know, that's also the player's discretion as well. You can't force a player to get surgery either. Right. So um, what, what did you, what was your take on it in terms of just like him getting re-injured? Um, you know, what would you have opted of? I know it's easy to say kind of in hindsight now um, that, you know, it would have been easier just get the surgery right away, but did, were you okay with them letting him come back? Yeah, I kind of felt the same way you did. I understand that at the end of the day, it's the player's decision. And, you know, if Josh Norris wanted to come back, you know, maybe it's not really the team's place to say you have to get the surgery instead of rehabbing it. But at the same time, I questioned that decision on Josh Norris's part, if it was all his, um, you know, we even have the context of he got, he had another shoulder injury last season. And when he injured it this time, the team insisted, no, it's not the same injury. It's a completely different thing. Like, don't worry about it. It's not like that. And yet it kind of sounds like it might have been, or that might've contributed to it. Um, and, you know, hearing, you know, the every like interview that Josh Norris did around that time, it sounded like he was really, really struggling with being away from the team, being away from the rink, not being able to play, which I completely sympathize with. I'm sure that was a really, really difficult thing for him to do. I question how much that was playing into the decision, right? If he was, if he just really didn't want to be away from the team for a long time and wanted to get back as soon as possible. Um, not that I'm, you know, I don't want to like psychoanalyze him too much and try to guess it at his feelings, but that was really the impression that I got. And yeah, it was a big red flag when they brought him back, but said, you know, he's not going to take face offs or, you know, we're, we're going to ease him back. Like, you know, if you see the video in the dressing room afterwards and he's got tape all over his shoulder and you hope it's just precautionary, but considering that he re-injured it on the nothing play right after, like clearly that wasn't going to work. Yeah. And it's one of those things where like, and I don't blame him for probably, he probably did want to get back right away. You know, these are professional athletes who are designed to do nothing but compete. I can totally imagine why if they got two options, say one, you know, you're going to be out for six months or the other one, you might be able to rehab for three months and then come back and we'll see, but it's a risk that the player is always going to be like, let me rehab. I want to get back here as soon as possible. And that's okay. Like, but that's why the team needs to be there to be like, Hey, no, we want what's interesting in the long-term future for you, you know, like both, both the team and yourself. And that's where I, again, like I get it at the end of the day, if he was saying, no, there's no way I don't want, I don't want the surgery right now. There's only so much you can do, but it just, especially seeing, because it's so, it was just such shades of like what happened with Shane Pinto last year as well, mm -hmm. where Pinto goes down, tries to come back, you know, after, you know, thinks it's okay, tries to come back and then immediately right away takes a face off thrown out again, just absolutely nothing play with Pinto as well. And they're like, yeah, okay, we got to shut him down for the season. And it's like, well, okay, first time, you know, fool me once, Jay mommy, but you know, the second time around, it's like, do we not learn any lesson from that? Like, and and I get there's yeah. slightly different circumstances, but still. Well, and even the fact that the initial injury was on a face-off, like it's not a good sign that he's getting injured that um, easily. But also the other thing that confuses me, and this is why I don't know why this didn't factor into Josh Norris's decision, is if you look at the timing of this injury, when Josh Norris got injured, the Sens, it was very early in the season and the Sens were winning. They had playoff aspirations. Like, and I, you have to think that the timeline he was given was, look, you're going to miss the regular season, but you're, but you'll be back for the playoffs if your team makes it right. And in that position, I feel like the best decision you can make is say, well, I sure hope my team can make the playoffs without me because it would be really important for me to be back. Whereas now, you know, he tries to come back, gets injured. And now if the Sens somehow make the playoffs without him, he's there's no way he's going to be a part of that. If he is a part of that, that would be a terrible decision, even worse, right? Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's such an unfortunate situation for him. And again, I do feel for him. I I. Yeah, I it sounded from him too that he asked a whole bunch of doctors until he got yep. until he found Barely one who told him he yeah. could re rehab it, which again, it's just really suspicious. And I just wish that, yeah, there had been better, better decisions made from whoever it was who made those decisions. Yeah, it, apparently the, the report going around was that four doctors had told him he should probably get the surgery, and a fifth one that he went to said, You could try and rehab it. And he went, See, I'm gonna try and rehab it now. I don't know if those were ever confirmed or not, but yeah, it, it does sound like there was a lot of people suggesting 
surgery would have been the better option. And, you know, we don't end up there. He's going to get it eventually now, or he's going to get it now anyways. So, um, you know, it just we get now all, all you can do really now is just hope that the, the recovery goes well and he's ready to go for next season because decision or not, you know, that's in the past. And now you just got to hope for a nice, healthy, healthy recovery. And he's feeling good, you know, this summer. Right. So. Um, yeah. unfortunately another injury as well that we got to talk about Cam Talbot goes down on what really looked like a nothing play, to be honest. Well, I don't know if you saw it live or not, but when I was watching the game, like he, he just, he kind of slid across the net and he didn't really do much, but you could tell as soon as he got up, he felt gingerly about it. And then he goes to the bench and we like uh, the broadcast had thought that they, he was just asking for some water and then he kind of you saw Forsberg put his equipment on and suddenly Talbot's down that down the ramp and and out. And now, you know, I, I just saw um Dreger reported on TSN yesterday that Cam Talbot's injury is going to be at least three to four weeks. He's not expected to resume skating until after the all-star break. So, you know, that's another again a week away yet before he even starts skating. Um just an absolutely tough blow again to the team and also to Cam Talbot, who um, you know, that it's been uh Tough year for him personally, and it doesn't make it look any better for the Sens when you you peek over to see what he was traded for and how Gustafson's doing in Minnesota either. Yeah, for sure. And I guess the the sort of silver lining, not that there should ever be a silver lining to an injury, but um, I guess if he's out for a little bit, it might be an opportunity for them to see what they have in some of their goaltending prospects, because that's, that's an area of their prospect pipeline that maybe we don't talk about enough, because I think I like T- Cam Talbot. I think he's been pretty good this season, but this season has also shown me that he's not really the solution long-term, right? He's not going to... He's already you know, fairly old. He's not going to be on the sends for that long. And he's not like the starting goaltender of the future, which I don't think we expected him to be, but still. Um, and that means that they're, they're either going to need to make a trade or they're going to need to one of their goaltending prospects to, uh, to step up. Not that I have an issue with Forsberg either. I think Forsberg has been very good, but it would still be nice if one of their goaltending prospects turned into something. So I am looking forward possibly to seeing Matt Sogard um but at the same time yeah the whole Gustafson thing definitely uh raises some questions about the Suns goaltending pipeline and stuff because this keeps happening where they keep trading away good goaltending prospects but then again maybe just nobody can predict goaltending I don't know yeah it's definitely hard to predict and I will say I think that Gustafson's um raw save percentage is inflated just given the team they're he's playing Mm -hmm. behind as well Uh, Minnesota's been known to to boost their goaltenders up as well. Um, not to say Gustafson hasn't been playing good. He absolutely has. Um, you know, and, and again, like I, I can't pretend I wasn't okay with the trade at the time. I think this was always a possible risk that you were running with a guy like Gustafson, who had shown flashes even at the NHL level um, in terms of, you know, he looked really, really good in, in the shortened season there in, in a small sample and then really, really bad last season in, in a small sample mm-hmm. as well. So yeah, it's, it's really hard to predict uh, goaltending. Um, I I still don't think they really gave up like this all-star starter in Gustafson or anything like that. You know, it's again, hard to predict obviously, but um, yeah, it's just obviously when you, when you have a guy in Cam Talbot, who's been, he's been fine when he's played. I'd say he's been okay is the way I would put it. He's had some good stretches and he's had some not so great stretches as well, but I think overall he's been an average goaltender you know, you like it, but then you look down the road, it's like, oh, there's a guy who's got like a 923 save percentage. That kind of sucks that we traded him and and he's 12 years younger. But um, regardless, uh, yeah, I I think we will probably see Mad Sogard if um, uh, Talbot is really out for a month or so. Um, Forsberg played the back-to-back against Toronto and Montreal on Friday, Saturday. Uh, I just don't think, he just can't keep that work kind of workload up uh, deep into a season. That's just, that's not, that's too much to ask of any goalie. Um, You know, so I, I would much rather, I think, just looking at their schedule when they get back again, they got the Oilers on Saturday, February 11th, and then the Flames on Monday, February 13th. I bet you Forsberg gets both those games, and then I bet you uh, Sogard gets the February 14th game against the Islanders, which is a back-to-back. So, um, and then probably by that time, I assume you reevaluate where Forsberg is. But um, when on their return, they have three sets of back-to-backs in their four sets of back-to-backs in their first uh, ten games, or you know, five sets of games, basically. So. Um, if Forsberg or sorry, if um, Talbot isn't back within the month that is uh, speculated, 
we will definitely be seeing a guy like Matt Sogard or, you know, maybe it's Kevin Manley, but probably Sogard given he's on the emergency recall play a couple games. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I guess, you know, it's a tricky situation for the Sens because obviously we're saying, oh, we'd love to see what we have with these goaltending prospects. But we also talked about how the Sens need to just win every single game for the next little bit. So I, I could also see the impulse to just say run with Forsberg and as for as long as possible and try to get a winning streak going because Forsberg has been quite good this season. Um, there, I think there's also a Chicago game coming up where mm-hmm. I was thinking maybe because Chicago is so bad. But then again, I'm pretty sure Chicago always beats the Suns. So maybe we shouldn't be overlooking them. Um, but yeah, I, I do hope that we get to see Sogard a little bit. Yeah, they, they play Chicago after the Islanders. They have So they go Oilers on the 11th, Flames 13th, Islanders 14th, and then Blackhawks on the 17th. Um, yeah, I definitely think that uh, Forsberg will get the bulk of the starts, but... I think you're just kind of asking a for injury risk by playing a guy back to back too much in terms of Forsberg. And also um, I, I just think, yeah, with, with the amount of rest and everything, I think Forsberg on a back to back is probably not that much better of an option than Sogard anyways. So I would be mm-hmm. totally okay seeing what you have in Sogard, even yeah, if the goal is to win the game, I mean, that, that's always going to be the goal, but sometimes you're just going to have to make do with, you know, your third string goalie, even if that wasn't the plan. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's go on to the all-star game, I guess, is the, the other big topic. Obviously, we mentioned the break coming up for Ottawa, and that is due to the all-star game. Um, uh, I, I'm trying to remember if I even recorded. I think I'm, I don't think I recorded last time they did the fan, when since the fan vote came out. But um, I I respect, oh, to, like, it's hilarious to the league. The league didn't even try to hide that the fan vote was already predetermined. Um if anyone's wondering, like, yeah. I, I don't know how they came to this decision, but um, the only people I saw get votes for on all of Twitter were uh, um, Tim Stutzla and Cole Caulfield from Montreal fans as well. Like those, were all, And then William Nylander, if any, if any Leafs fans were actually voting, it was William Nylander. It wasn't Austin Matthews. So, um, like, I, I don't know. I, I don't really care about the All-Star game personally, so I find it hard to get, like, super worked up about any of this stuff but like what's your take on on only Kachuk going to the all-star game yeah that was so weird and I will say I'll point out a lot of fans who are like on Twitter a lot and where you know most of your interaction with other hockey fans is through Twitter maybe underestimate just how many hockey fans are not on Twitter I do think that you know maybe we were putting a little bit too much stock in the Twitter vote and and what people were saying saying on Twitter there was there were whole other communities um a whole bunch of other people all voting but yeah it was kind of interesting that it just ended up being pretty much who you'd expect the NHL to pick but then again maybe it was just you know casual NHL fans saying who's good in the Atlantic division uh Pasternak and Matthews right and not really thinking much more about that I don't know but yeah I find the format just is so weird I I'm so confused by it. I don't know why the NHL is putting so much stock in the fan vote. I just, I wish the NHL would just commit to what they want the all-star game to be, right? Because, you know, they try to have one player from every team or they try to have just stars and then, but then they turn around and they're like, oh no, we're going to let the fans vote. But then as soon as the fans do something fun, they say, no, 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 actually we only want the fans to vote if they vote in the players that we like. Right. And it's just, I just wish that they, yeah, I wish it made more sense because right now it's just such a joke. It's so random. We don't know how they determine all stars. We can't put any stock in it. You know, you can't list off a player's achievement and say he was an all-star this many times. Cause what does that even mean? Well, that's the thing, right? It, is it doesn't really matter because, yeah, like Leo Komarov was an all star for the Toronto Maple Leafs one year. Like, even this year, like, I couldn't name who it is off the Arizona Coyotes, but I can almost guarantee they don't deserve to be there, whether it's Chichern or Keller. Like, and that's no offense to them. It's just we don't need a player off of every shitty team, you know? Like, in the depth of those Sens rebuilds, I didn't care that, like, if there was no Sens player there. Obviously, you could have brought, mm-hmm. like, Brady is a rookie rookie or Stutzel is a rookie or something like that. And, and I think that is another way that they should do it in terms of if you really feel you need one player from every team, open up the events a little more so that like whoever, 
I don't know, Dylan Larkin can go to the fastest skater, regardless of if he's in the all-star game or not, you know, and like have the people who are actually good at specific events come regardless and, and make people want to show up, you know, like, as you said, getting an all-star nod, people will talk it up, but it doesn't mean near as much as like NBA players die to get the all-star. They, they take it personally if they don't get an all-star nod when they feel they should. In the NHL, it's the other way around. It's like, ah, oh, man, and you know, this year's a little different because it's in Florida, but it's like, usually it's like, oh, I got to go to St. Louis for five days instead of going to Cancun or whatever mm-hmm. on my break. Like, that sucks. It's like, no, if you build it to where the players want to be there, that should be something that matters. And part of the way you build it is by not just rewarding every team. Because, like, again, let's be honest. How many people were tuning in to the All-Star game three years ago because, or even, like, two years ago because Anthony Duclair was there or whatever? Like, and that's no disrespect to him, but, like, I just, I just, I, I can't imagine it makes a difference, you know? Yeah, and I'm pretty sure, didn't the NHL used to do the all-rookie team that they would, like, send to the All-Star game? Or there was some kind of rookie thing, and that was always the way to get the other teams represented, because usually the bad teams have good rookies. That's just how it works, but I don't know. So much annoys me about this, and I don't know if you're feeling this too, but I'm also getting so tired of the divisional format. Like, I remember back in the day when they had the draft and just two two teams, and obviously I fully like respect that the three on three format is worlds better for the actual game um i love that there are four teams and it's three on three that has been a huge thing but i don't understand why they have to keep it with the divisions why can't you just have four captains and you bring back the draft which everybody agrees (laughs) at least everybody i talk to agrees was the highlight of those all-star weekends is seeing those players actually show personality just be really drunk chirping each other all the time that was so much fun just have your four captains maybe they're fan voted maybe they're not i don't know hold a draft and that way you can have more fun with the teams whereas now it's oh yeah brady kachuk is gonna go play with some players from the leafs and some players from the Habs, and now it's his brother so that's fun but there's never any difference in who is playing on the teams whereas i remember the drama when the sedines got split up that one year you know i want more of that The draft saga is the most NHL thing in the world. They come up with this great idea, revolutionary in terms of all-star games. It's absolutely hilarious watching the guys pick, as you said. Like, they're just all shit-based on the stage, like, picking. And it's a great idea to the point where, like, the NBA steals it. And then, Mm -hmm. but because someone's got to get picked last, the NHL can't have that. Even though the guy, like, Phil Kessel got a goddamn car for being picked last. And it was really funny. Remember Ovi holding up the sign that said, like, don't pick me, I want a car. Exactly. That was so funny. But the NHL goes, no, no, we can't hurt anyone's feelings. We got to get rid of this. It's like, no, this was the best thing you've come up with in years. They're at the All-Star game. They they can that's, handle that's, being that's, picked last at the All-Star game. Yeah, come on. exactly. And yeah, it's just like, this is the best thing you've come up with in years to at least give some personality. And you go, oh, well, one person's feelings might have kind of got hurt. And even then, it shouldn't have ever gotten hurt. And it wasn't a big deal at all. So you completely scrap the idea. And then, of course, the NBA takes it and they still do it to this day where it's like the draft of the NBA All-Star Game is not just as big of an event, but a massive event that everyone tunes into because they want to see what the teams are. And they want to see the players chirping back and forth and everything like that. Like, it's just... I am fully with you. I It's just that every time I get talking about that, it, it fires me up because it's just so NHL where they had something so good, the potential to be so amazing. And they went, no, this would actually help our brand. We shouldn't do this. We, we There's just no way we can do this. And they get rid of it to make it something way worse. I know. And again, I recognize that the actual game was so bad and that needed to change. But it always going to be. Why do- I feel like when people talk about that change that they made, they don't talk about the fact that there was no reason for them to do the divisional format. Again, you could have had your three-on-three thing with, yeah, with, like, four teams, but still have your captains, yeah, still have your captains select their teams, you know? There was just no need. If anything, I think it would be more fun having captains select the team, because you'd be... Like, you'd be interested to see... I, I wouldn't, like, position limit anything other than goalies, obviously, but, like, It'd be cool to see if a team that has a defenseman as a captain goes, I'm going to pick all defense. We're going to have something to prove. And we're just going to play six defensemen on our three on three team or whatever. And just like, at least you get some variation throughout the year. Cause yeah, as you said, like I'm totally fine with them switching the game to three on three. I know people have complained about that too. It's like, Hey, 
I'm probably not going to watch the game regardless. I, I don't find it that entertaining. I'll have it on the background probably while I'm doing something else on the weekend, but like, I'm not going out of my way to watch the game, but B yeah, like just let people draft their team. That's way more fun that way. And, and you know, you, the draft itself is fun. You get to see the personalities and then, yeah, you get different mix of people on the team. Like you could see Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews playing together or something like that, you know, mm. or, or, you know, you, you get to see, Brady Kachuk and, uh, you know, maybe Matthew Kachuk are their captains against each other and they're they're playing and they're drafting against each other head to head or whatever. Like, how much more exciting is that than just, oh, here's the same guys like, oh, look, yeah, a sentence player and a half player talking to each other. How wild is that? It's just like, like I don't know. Who cares? You know what I mean? Like, I. Yeah. I know. And the other thing is that it also means that you have fewer limits when it comes to, um, like, which players are nominated because now you need to have the same number of players from the Atlantic division, the central division and all of that. And usually it ends up being kind of fair, but there are still, you know, yeah, there's still going to be one division that has more superstars than the other, you know? And of course now that's causing problems because of the bull Horvat trade. Right. Um, but like, you don't need to have these, these weird limits of you need the same amount of players from every division. You can just name the best players and yeah, just go back to how it used to be, except with three on three. Yeah, I, I would be totally fine with that as well, where, yeah, you just, again, like, making the All-Star game should mean something. Um, if, if you really want people to pay attention and and, and come, because that's the other thing, too, is, like, the other side of this is, well, oh, it'll just never mean anything, so why bother? It's like, well, if that's the case, fine, but, like, just know your event's never going to mean anything, and then you're going to wonder why no one cares about it every weekend, or every year, right? Where it's like, if you actually put the time and the effort in and go, no, no, we want to actually like make people care about what's happening here. And we're going to name, even if it is 12 players from one division, because that one division happens to be absolutely stacked this year, we're going to name 12 players out of the 24 that make it from one division, do it, you know? And, and then again, invite other people to come do the events. It doesn't mean that the 24 players playing in the all-star game itself need to be, the only ones doing the skills competition or whatever, get other people to do the skills competition, you know? So like, again, that's what the NBA does. You have guys there that are just there for like the dunk contest or whatever. They're not playing in the all-star game, but they get, they're the best at dunking. So they can put on the contest. You know, I don't care to watch Nathan McKinnon take a hard slap shot. If, you know, I could watch Zdeno Chara do it instead. Obviously Chara's not playing anymore, but like that, that, that idea of it where it's like, Get, even if it's not a great defenseman, get him out to do the artist shot. If he can shoot a rocket, like that's better. And then you get someone actually good in the game as well. So, yeah, I don't know. I was not expecting to get this fired up with the All Star game. Usually, I don't have passionate takes, but um, it just, I think it is clear to say that there's a lot of improvement that it could have from the NHL standpoint. But I will say, and sorry to stay on this topic, I am excited for one event in the skills competition, and that's the dunk tank, which I think is a fantastic idea. And I heard a rumor today that Nathan McKinnon and Sidney Crosby have decided to team up for the dunk tank. And the the fact that you can apparently do that, if it's true, game changer. I am so excited. I can't wait to see what happens with that. But that's kind of the only event. There we go. At least we got something. And I really hope Brady Kachuk is involved. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah, think, I, I do think that both Kachuk brothers, they need to team up. You know, they, they need to team up for the for the dunk tank. For sure. I'm, I'm sure there will be no shortage of uh, camera time for both the Kachuk brothers. I have a feeling that that'll be mm -hmm. a very big talking point uh, uh, for the league this weekend. Um, Thank you so much for joining me today. I, I think we hit on a bunch of really good topics. It's a good point to wrap it up. Uh, plug some stuff. Where, where can people find you and, and all your work? Yeah, so the main thing is, at least for now, because uh, some things are changing at Fox Media, for now you can read my stuff at Silver 7 Cents, um, but things might be changing there. So do make sure to follow me on Twitter. It's at C-B-E-A-T-A-E. So -E -E. And I also just recently launched a new podcast with my friend, who you might know on Twitter as Erickson's Burner. And the podcast is called Elite Sends Brain. So if you enjoyed hearing my voice today, I make, I'm, yeah, my other podcast is a lot sillier. It's a lot more jokes. But anyways, you can go and listen to Elite Sends Brain. I can't recommend checking out your stuff enough. Uh, thank you again so much for joining me today. And I'll have to have you back on when there's even more talk about down the line with this team. For sure. Thanks again for having me. 
Thanks to Bieta for joining me, as mentioned. Uh, again, had a lot of fun recording that one with uh, lots to talk about definitely over the past couple weeks as we head into the All-Star break here. Um, hope everyone has a great uh, weekend and enjoys the All-Star game if you do plan on watching it. Uh, likely will not be back for about two weeks now, just due with the uh, the stuff that there is or lack of stuff there will likely be to talk about over the next little bit. As mentioned, the Sens don't play uh, until I think it's February 11th, um, their next game. So they have over a full week off, which, um, you know, hopefully they can get nice and rested and keep getting some bodies back here. So, uh, yeah, I will also probably be off and uh, until about mid-November, November, mid-February. Uh, and then I'll be back on when the, the Suns start playing a couple more games. So I, I look forward to that. As always, if you want to keep up with what I'm doing, uh, my other podcast, the MNM Hockey Podcast, is available wherever you're listening to this currently as well. Um, that is a more league-wide podcast that I do with my buddy Chase McCallum. And we... Um, we record every week for that one, so if you want to hear more of my voice, you can hear that one weekly as opposed to this one that's more bi-weekly, I would say. Um, and yeah, we, we touch on all topics. We do talk centers on there, but it's a lot of, uh, um, I mean, lately it's been a lot of Vancouver because they've been dominating the news, but generally speaking, it's whatever is in the news cycle. All 32 teams we love to hit on, so uh, go check that out. You can check all my workout at lastwordonhockey.com. I'm doing at least a rumors piece per week. I usually try and do some predictions pieces when games are out as well. Um, and then I'm trying to get back into some analysis as well. So if there's anything you want to see me analyze, shoot me a message and I will definitely look into it. Um, and then you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff and the account on Twitter at Last Word on Sends. Um, you know, that'll be a catch-all for all the work that there is there. So, um, yeah, definitely give us a follow. Uh, if you like the podcast, give it a like and maybe even subscribe. It would go a long way for me personally. Um, you know, uh, it's a big way to boost the, the just the engagement on the podcast. It, it seriously means a lot if, you know, you do enjoy it. So um, thank you, everyone, so much for listening. I hope you all have a great weekend. I'll talk to you next week.